being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong all right so most of my listeners will be well aware already of who nick bryant is probably first and foremost because of his book the franklin scandal a story of power brokers child abuse and betrayal and you know some of you might recall that nick bryant has been on the podcast already some of you may know that Nick Bryant also acquired Epstein's Little Black Book back in 2012, and he published it back in 2015. So kind of a year before the story really broke in 2016, and then broke again even bigger in 2019. I would like to thank him for coming back on the show this time to discuss something very important. But how are you doing today? I'm good, Jimmy. Glad to be back on your show. Definitely. You're always welcome on Program to Chill. And <laughs> uh, we were talking off mic just a little bit about Dave McGowan. Yeah, Dave was a buddy of mine. And um, I wrote the forward to Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon. And his death was uh, heartbreaking to me. I remember when he called mm-hmm. me and told me about the cancer. I've got a rare neurological disorder. And I was at the Mayo Clinic about to have... Uh, major neurosurgery and so i kind of was focused on that and and actually the neurosurgery worked out because the the objective of having neurosurgery is not to look like you've had neurosurgery Mm. but that was kind of focused on that and i was in rochester when dave minnesota when dave called me and and told me that he had really aggressive small cell lung cancer and he was going to try to fight it but that type of cancer is really, really aggressive. And um, mm-hmm. when that gets into stage three or four, which Dave's was, that's kind of, uh, that's pretty much the end game. Some people can get lucky, but the vast majority mm-hmm. people go down pretty quickly. And it's kind of funny because uh, Dave was quite fond of smoking weed. And um <laughs> He was, and, he, and he was getting all these emails telling him that uh, THC would uh, you know, ameliorate his cancer or cure his cancer. And um, he, he said to me, um, you know, if that's the case, I never would have got cancer in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but he had, he had, I mean, all you got to do is read his stuff and you, you can tell that he's got a great sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he's a good, he was really a good guy too. Oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I've only ever really heard, you know, a handful of interviews, so I never got, you know, a great sense necessarily uh, other than just hearing him on some interviews, you know, what he was actually like, but that's interesting. Yeah, Dave was a brilliant guy. He was in Mensa, and um, I mean, I a lot of people get into Mensa because of uh, elitism, Dave didn't do that because of elitism, um, mm-hmm. but he was, um, in addition to being extremely intelligent, he was extremely kind. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, he was a good guy. I mean, he made a living as a contractor, and um, and then he'd get time, pockets of time, where he'd be able to write his stuff. So he was never like a full-time writer. Um Unfortunately, he had he had to make a living as a contract. Hmm. 
do you perceive his kindness to be like a driver for the interests that he had in this sort of work? Well, it's interesting. This sort of work, most of the people that it attracts, and I've been at this for like 21 years, Mm -hmm. when you get into this type of stuff, it's generally people that are very dedicated to really kind of outing um, evil. And I think the vast majority of us are pretty good guys. Um, I mean, there's some that I find a little uh, difficult to deal with, but uh, but the vast majority of us, Dave included, are, are good guys. We're, we're trying to uh, help um, our brethren see what what is happening to them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and to be committed to that. And the way that Dave was committed was uh, like he would work long hours as a contractor and he'd come home and he'd write. Mm-hmm. That's that's how committed he was, and um, and he was given that he had like a full time job. He was amazingly prolific. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, I eventually got to New York after my neurosurgery, and um, and then I could tell that Dave was uh, was was pretty close, um, but. Uh, yeah, he, he went out with no animosity, no hostility. Um, mm. Just a good guy. A brilliant guy and a good guy. That's lovely. Definitely love to hear anecdotes about Dave McGowan. That's wonderful. Now, I wanted to ask you, because you know this is sort of leading to what we're going to talk about today, I saw that uh, your podcast just released an episode, so I haven't had the chance to listen to this yet, but uh, new revelations in the Johnny Gosh case. Yes, uh, your friend, uh, George, Mm. gave me some leads, and I was able to follow up on it. And Johnny Gosh, um, after he was abducted, Johnny Gosh was a paperboy that was abducted from West Des Moines in 1982. And after he was abducted, according to Paul Benassi and Jimmy Gibson, um, two kids that were part of that pedophile network, they told America's Most Wanted that they were with Johnny Gosh at a house in in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And the guy and and Paul described said the house. I, I think Jimmy did too. Paul said that the house was near an elephant shaped rock. And also that there was a chamber beneath the house where the kids would be kept. And America's Most Wanted found the house. And lo and behold, it was near a, a, an elephant-shaped rock. And there was a chamber um, below the house. And it was owned by a prison guard named Charles Crouch. It's kind of interesting. America's Most Wanted didn't pursue it. Um, they knew that Crouch was a prison guard. At, at that time, Crouch, I believe, was a fugitive from justice. Now, this is what's interesting about Crouch, the pedophile that owned that house, where Johnny Gash was probably taken. Um, he, he pops up in 1963 as molesting three boys. Hmm. And 
And there's no charges. He molests his wife's brother. There's no charges. He molests he molests his son. There's no charges. So, so we're we're talking about a serial predator here. Yeah. And with Crouch, if you do a background check, a criminal background check on him in both New Mexico and California, his record is completely clean of of, of that type of stuff. Hmm. So. He was initially indicted in 1963, and then he owned a house where a bunch of kids were stashed. Um, and then he fled Nebraska. We don't know why. Or he fled um, Colorado. We don't know why. But then there's no record of him being under having any difficult legal difficulties in Colorado. So I, I think Charles Crouch, who's now in New Mexico, he's an old guy, about 80 years old. Um, I think that uh, he was definitely protected. And, and here's what's interesting, because when you write about these networks that are protected, like Epstein is a protected network, and the, the network in the Franklin scandal was a protected network. Um, when you write about these networks, you will see how law enforcement just wilts. Um, and I called up uh, a woman friend of mine who is who runs an anti-trafficking organization in San Francisco, and I trust her a lot. She's been at it a long time. And I said, are there any cops? That, I'm not going to go to the FBI because the FBI is very dirty in mm -hmm. the Johnny Nash case and also the Franklin scale and actually Epstein for that matter. Um, and she hooked me up with a guy who was uh, a, a chief chief of police in a town in Southern California. And actually he ran an anti-trafficking task force in Southern California. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I showed him everything I had and, you know, he was a believer because what I've got is overwhelming. Um, and we were in touch with emails and calls. And then all of a sudden, like the email stopped the calls stopped. Um, the, he wasn't returning calls. He wasn't returning emails. And he was gung-ho to, to, to get on this investigation. So something happened to him. I think that somewhere along the line, he was spooked. Um, he was probably told to stay away from Charles Crouch. That's so crazy. I mean, that's the only thing that I can surmise because the, the, the dude was really into the story and then all of a sudden he just wills and uh the, the only thing i can and yeah i've been investigating this type of stuff for 21 years and um and people do get threatened and then they they back away hmm. and this is like the new information that like george helped like you know yeah. you and george were like basically working on George uh, helped me quite a bit, and um, and then I was able to get a hold of Crouch's wife, who gave me a good interview. And um, yeah, if if there was any interest whatsoever to continue with the Johnny Gash case, um, that was the time because that was like the biggest break in the Johnny Gash in the in the Johnny Gash case in uh, probably twenty or thirty years. So, like a... and we were able to show who one of the perps is, 
Charles Crouch. And yeah. he's got a long history of being a perp that goes back to the early 60s. I mean, that guy has been molesting kids since the early 60s. And um, nothing happened to him. And he was indicted in, as I said, in New Mexico in 1963. And then he went to Colorado and became a prison guard. Now, there's no way that you could be a, a prison guard in Colorado with a record with that on your record. So that, and like I said, um, I conducted a criminal background check and George conducted a criminal background check and neither one of us could find, that there wasn't any um, child abuse on his record at all whatsoever. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's freaky to me to hear things that like George was telling me in like a, you know, direct message online. And then like to hear you saying that it was like the biggest new development in the gosh case in what like 20 30 years that that is so wild to me yeah and the thing about it is that poor paper boy i mean there there have been so many leads that have dried up and mm -hmm. the, the reason why the fbi covered it up is because the fbi was covering up the franklin scandal and mm -hmm. the Franklin scandal was uh, was was going down at the time that uh, Johnny Gosher was abducted. And there were some people that were affiliated with the Franklin scandal that I believe helped to abduct Johnny Gosh. So the FBI came in and, and just started threatening people to and, and completely quashed um, people coming forward. And I think because Johnny Gosh was was part of the Franklin scandal. Um, the FBI had to really put a, the FBI put a lot of pressure on the Des Moines Police Department, saying that there wasn't any leads and that Paul Benassi was uh, wasn't a credible witness. Yeah, um, but that. yeah, that was that was all courtesy of the FBI. When you get into the Johnny Gosh case, and you, uh, there was a guy named Charlie Kerr who was, uh, I believe, took part in the abduction. Um, all these guys are inveterate child molesters. And um, mm -hmm. and what's truly unfortunate is our government protected all of them. Mm -hmm. The FBI and Department of Justice protected all of them. And, and the thing about the FBI is it's got a trump card. It can go into a locale and play the FBI trump card and basically take over the investigation. In this case, it... Uh, tainted the witnesses in the Franklin network and um, and and who knows what else went on uh, between the FBI and the West Des Moines police but ultimately uh, the West Des Moines police really didn't do anything and hmm. at all and it's their search their quote unquote search for Johnny Guy yeah that makes a lot of sense I mean I didn't plan it this way Nick but uh <laughs> I did have episodes coming out um, just basically this week about the Johnny Gosh case and Franklin. So this is fortuitous. I'll probably get this episode to come out with those. Oh, great. Because I do think that more attention does need to be paid to the Johnny Gosh case for sure, especially with these new developments. There's one lead that I haven't followed up on yet, but... I think in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to follow up on it. Hmm. 
and when we'll see where that takes us. But in your opinion, the Johnny Gosh case and the Franklin case overlap. Yes. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. I've got, I've got no doubts about that. That was my read on it from reading your book and all the other stuff I was able to pull up. It, there's just too many points where things really seem to overlap. Yeah. As I said earlier, um, Paul Benassi and uh, some other people that were involved with the Franklin network abducted Johnny Gosh. And because the FBI had to cover up the Franklin network, it covered up Johnny Gosh too. And that was, uh, was truly unfortunate for, for Johnny Gosh and his family. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Emilio, who Paul Benassi um, talked about, and America's Most Wanted made a picture of. I believe that uh, he was part of the network too. Um, the other guy, Tony, I don't know where he came from, um, and I and I really haven't figured out who he was. Mm. So, like you said, it very much appears that the Johnny in the Johnny Gosh case and the overlapping Franklin case, these this was a protected network. Oh. I Absolutely. And then you stated that the Epstein network is a protected network. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty uh, commonsensical at this point. I mean, mm -hmm. with with Epstein, we know who a bunch of the perpetrators are. Mm -hmm. We know who a bunch of the perpetrators are. Um, and I mean, the victims have named a bunch of perpetrators. And none of them have shown to be liars at so, and the black book that I acquired in 2012, and it wasn't, uh, and I pitched it to the mainstream media for three years, and then finally uh, it was published by Gawker with some articles that I wrote. The house manager, Alfredo Rodriguez, circled a number of the people that he saw were in cahoots with uh, Jeffrey Epstein. And uh, your listeners can Google Nick Bryant, Gawker, Epstein, and, and the black book will come up. Mm -hmm. And a number of the perps that have been named by the girls are the exact same guys that have been circled by the house manager, Alfredo Rodriguez. So I wrote a, an article about Epstein, a pretty comprehensive article. I couldn't, again, I could not get it published in the mainstream media, but it was published by Sheer Post. And that's how I was able to get double corroboration on a bunch of the perps is because they were circled in the black book and also because they were named as perps by some of the witnesses, some of the victims, I should say. Now, are there any people who are known to have been active in both the Franklin case and the Epstein case? No, not that I know of. And they catered to a, a different, the Franklin case, uh, the Franklin network handled primarily um, underage boys to Republicans. Mm -hmm. And the Epstein network handled primarily underage girls to Democrats. So that seems to be our partisan divide um, is the Republicans were molesting little boys and the Democrats were molesting little girls. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of strangely horrific to see that in the handful of like other scandals that have come out involving the two parties, that that is somewhat consistent 
Well, there's 435 federal representatives and 100 senators. So that's uh, 535. We have 535 federal legislators in Washington, D.C. And not a single one of them has come out and called for an investigation into Jeffrey Epstein. Hmm. How completely insane is that? Not a single one of our 535 federal legislators have come out and said, we need to investigate Jeffrey Epstein. And there, the parallels between the Epstein network and the Franklin network are, are many. Um, both were covered up by the Department of Justice, uh, mm. both had connections to uh, intelligence, and both deployed blackmail. And both uh, networks pandered those kids to the upper echelon of society. So there's a lot of parallels between uh, between the, the Franklin case and the Epstein case. When I first got the black book, because I went down there in 2012 for the first time, and that's when I got the black book. And the black book has a number of victims. Um, that I would say probably names and numbers of probably 150 victims. <clears throat> and I decided to start calling them first because I wanted to see, at, at that point, the mainstream media had portrayed, and the government, for that matter, had portrayed uh, Jeffrey Epstein as a, a lone pedophile. But mm. then I got a hold of some of these victims that said they'd been flown um, to different places in the island and stuff. And, and at that point, I knew that Jeffrey Epstein was running a trafficking network. And when I got back to New York, when I was pitching the story I said, it's it's very obvious to me because I've written one book on a child trafficking network and the jury that Jeffrey Epstein is running a child trafficking network. And um, the mainstream media did not want to touch that one. And actually, you know, the mainstream media, um, when I said that none of our 535 federal representatives have called for investigation, there hasn't been one outlet and the mainstream media that has called for an investigation into Jeffrey Epstein's pandering network, not, mm -hmm. not one. So what we have is a very, uh, we, we have ethical eunuchs running our uh, government. We have ethical eunuchs running our media um, that don't really care about the welfare of the children. Yeah. I mean, as happy as I am that you're on program to chill today, like you should be on television talking about this. Like you shouldn't have to be doing the podcast circuit, like as kind as that is. It's interesting. Um, I was going to be on MSNBC and I was cut out. And then I was going to be on Fox. Um, it was during the Sandusky scandal at Penn mm. State. And um, this producer at Fox called me. And I said, well, yeah, I, I know a lot about this. If you read the Franklin scandal, you'll see that um, that Sandusky could be part of a network. And she read the book and she wanted to get me on. And then her boss called me and I had a nice talk with her boss. Um, and then her boss called my publisher and said that she didn't want me on because I was incoherent. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and the the, the only uh, drug I'd had that day was caffeine. So, um, it, 
Mm. <laughs> and I mean, that was so disingenuous that uh, it, it was ridiculous. But I actually, so I, I didn't make it to Fox. Russia Today used to have me on all the time, but uh, Russia Today is no longer with us. So uh, mm-hmm. so that's how the the cookie crumbles. Let me let me ask you this. So were there any people involved in the cover-up of both cases? Like I'm thinking maybe to some extent involves like William Barr, perhaps? William Barr, our buddy William Barr, um, one of the dirtiest attorney generals of, of all time. <laughs> Richard Thornburg, who was really dirty himself, um, was Bush one's attorney general. He had been the governor of uh, Pennsylvania, and he went, he resigned to run against a guy named Paul Wolford, a Democrat. Um, and Wolford was like a dark horse. It, everybody thought that Richard Thornburg was going to destroy Wolford. And actually, Wolford won and uh, became became a senator. But when Thornburg split the Bush administration, William Barr took over. And Thornburg started the cover-up mm-hmm. of the Franklin Network, but Barr put the finishing touches on the cover-up. And, and Barr completely covered up the uh, the Epstein trafficking network. So William Barr is a dirty guy. And you don't have to take my word for it. Google William Barr. And uh, there'll be a number of unsavory things that come up about him. He, he is really, he's bad news. Yeah, it almost seems like a generational affair, doesn't it, with his father as well, right? Yeah, well, his father, it said that his father didn't hire Jeffrey Epstein. Um, it's, I mean, who knows? Um, but his father um, was at Dalton, and uh, Jeffrey Epstein was at Dalton. And actually, his father wrote a book about intergalactic uh, sex trafficking, which I, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of bizarre. I, I never bought the book, though. I just didn't, it, it didn't call, my, call to me. <laughs> no, I only heard those passages that people would post. It's just remarkable. <sighs> Let's see. So in terms of, we talked about new developments in the Gosh case. What uh, new developments are happening with the Epstein case? Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, J.P. Morgan just settled a lawsuit with the Epstein victims for $290 million. Mm-hmm. J.P. Morgan just gave the Epstein victims, tw- I mean, that's 290 million reasons to show that J.P. Morgan it was very good when it came to Epstein. And mm-hmm. those attorneys are going after Deutsche Bank, too, and Deutsche Bank will well, give, give them a settlement, not as much as uh, they're not going to get as much out of Deutsche Bank as they are out of J.P. Morgan. But they're, they're going to get millions from uh, Deutsche Bank, too. I think it's estimated that I, I've heard 70 million. I don't quote me on that, though. But, um, yeah, Epstein was at the apogee of the political world the finance world, the science world, the academic world. Um, he was, he, he was, uh, he was a, a shooting black hole. 
instead of a, a shooting star, he was a shooting black hole. Mm. Oh, I wanted to ask you, because uh, recently it came out, right, that uh, Noam Chomsky was using Epstein to move a significant amount of money that kind of uh, sent some major shockwaves through the uh, the U.S. left, such as it is. And the thing about Chomsky is he was asked what he was doing with Epstein, and he said, it's none of your business. Yeah. Chomsky is... Um, Chomsky is not the saint that the left thinks he is. And um, I mm. actually, I used to look up to Chomsky. Manufacturing consent, I thought, was, was, was very good. But um, I think uh, I think Noam got a little too uh, cozy with his ego. And um, he's, I think, I think Noam might have some megalomania going on. Mm. And he just the way that he reacted when he was asked what he was doing with the Jeffrey Epstein, I mean, kind of, he didn't even try to explain it. If he just could have said, yeah, well, you know, he was giving me a grant for this or a grant for that. Um, But no, he didn't even try to explain it. He just said, it's none of your business. Yeah. It's like, even if you would have said, who likes banking fees? Like that would almost be better than like (laughs) nothing at all. Yeah, I mean, I'm known someone who's dealt with Noam Chomsky, and um, and he ended up very disillusioned. Mm. And he was a uh, he was a graduate student, mm. and uh, he he never really lauded Noam Chomsky after that. Yeah, that's unfortunate, but I mean. What, what are we supposed to do, right? These are our leaders, our leaders in academia, our leaders in the government, our leaders in finance. Yeah. It's amazing how Epstein was able to taint all of them with his money. Yeah. And, and, and I'm um, one of the witnesses named uh, Marvin Minsky. He was a big shot at MIT as a perpetrator. So, but it's important to... It's important to compromise people in banking. It's important to compromise people in the government. It's important to compromise people in the media, but it's also important to compromise people in science. Hmm. And I'll give you an example of that. I wrote a book called Confessions of a DC Madam, hmm. Politics of Sex, Lies, and Blackmail. And there was uh, the president of uh, NIH, or thinking was president um he would go to washington dc and he was gay and he would get like three escorts a day from henry vincent who ran the gay escort service and um Mm -hmm. he'd get like a handle a jack and then do three uh gay hookers a day and um and then he'd go back to atlanta and, and and be mr respectable but here's the thing about that guy um we knew that agent orange was carcinogenic and he quashed all the science on that all those vietnam vets that died of cancer Mm. um, throat cancer because of agent orange i mean if that guy had been uh if he had been on the level um at all he wouldn't have quashed those 
studies about Agent Orange being carcinogenic. And a lot of Vietnam veterans would have been treated much differently than they were treated. It took a number of years for it to come out that Agent Orange was carcinogenic um, because of his malfeasance. Yeah, and then you just like basically like apply that to almost everyone that Epstein tainted. And like this becomes like a rippling effect where it's just like a massive amount of people doing unscrupulous things because of this guy. Like it's just remarkable. Well, I, I mean, um, they would probably be doing unscrupulous things uh, anyway. Sure. But with, uh, with Jeffrey Epstein, they found a vehicle. In the Franklin scandal, there were two primary pimps, uh, Lawrence E. King of Omaha and Craig Spence of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And Spence used to have the parties. And he was a CIA asset. And his house, like Je all of Jeffrey Epstein's homes, were uh, wired for audiovisual blackmail. And uh, and Spence's home was wired for audiovisual blackmail, too. And what would happen, he would invite the... Uh, Dream of the crop when it came to politics and media and finance, they would all go to his parties. I mean, he threw he threw parties like F's, uh, uh, the Great Gatsby threw parties. Mm. And what would happen is like at about 10 or 11, after the guests had been lubricated with alcohol, something would inappropriate would happen. Uh, something sexually inappropriate would happen. Uh, Someone would fire up a joint or someone break out some coke. And the people that were appalled by that would split. But the people that were intrigued and wanted to stay and keep in mind that they'd been lubricated with alcohol, then they would get compromised. That's that's how that worked with Craig Spence. And I'm sure that that's how it worked with uh, with a lot of Epstein's uh, compromising. Hmm. Let me ask you actually just as a side note were, was there ever any indication that lawrence king's house was also bugged in a similar fashion or i guess uh, maybe one of the apartment um not that i know of hmm. king king was more uh, i mean king used rusty nelson and i there was another photographer too that i was i was never able to find him um, but King used some, some blackmail photographers, but I don't like with Spence's house. It was the CIA did a bang up job on it. And, mm. uh, with amazing technology, we're talking in the eighties, like, like, uh, pinhole cameras. And, yeah. uh, I don't, I don't think King's, King's apartments were, were set up that way. Probably but there was not necessary on that there. local level, right? There, there was blackmail going on, um, mm -hmm. but it, it just it didn't it wasn't it didn't have the sophistication of the DC blackmail. That makes a lot of sense. So, basically, right now, despite the settlements, it doesn't seem like Epstein, like as a cause, is moving forward. Would you agree with that assessment? There were. Epstein trafficked underage girls for 25 years. And he was known to molest two or three of them a day. Um, it, he had, it was, it was a great white shark um, looking for little girls. And 
we know who a number of the perpetrators are and um, the government isn't going after them. And the New York Times gave us an expose on his procurers, which are really pimps, um, and named six of them. And one of them was going Maxwell, but then the other five were named and nothing has happened to them. And if this was at all like real justice, mm -hmm. what the uh, a child trafficking sentence is fifteen years to life. So you would get these procurers, and you would give them like ten. You, you would indict them on ten trafficking counts. I mean, you could indict them on a lot more. For Glenn Maxwell to be indicted on one count of child trafficking was a joke. But anyway. Yeah. So you would indict these procurers who are pimps, um, and then they're looking at uh, ten life sentences, and then they'd roll over on the uh, on on the perps, and that's uh, that's how the Department of Justice took down the mafia, the uh, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Act, uh, RICO, and mm -hmm. that's what it's designed for: is to take down criminal organizations. And Jeffrey Epstein was definitely a criminal organization. So it's so it seems like the issue is more or less at the attorney's office and above, like the political will, essentially. Well, the um, with Epstein, Alexander Acosta was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida, and mm -hmm. uh, which includes Miami and Palm Beach, and they had a list of thirty-six victims. I, I've got that document um, where. There's 30, the, the feds knew about 36 underage victims. And according to Acosta, he was told to stand down because Epstein was intelligence and it was above his pay grade. Mm -hmm. According to our con constitutionally, there's only two uh, people in the government that can get a U.S. attorney to stand down. One is the president, one is the attorney general. So for... Acosta to be to be told to stand down. That came from the pinnacle of our of our government. Mm. Now, sometimes people perceive that I am black pilled on some of these questions, as the kids say. I don't know if you've heard that term, black pilled. I have not. What what does it mean? Just like um, overly pessimistic about the prospects of something like that. Ah. <laughs> just some silly slang but uh well that's good to know you know i'm I'm old and decrepit now so <laughs> but it, it's good to know uh younger people's lexicon i i i, I appreciate that <laughs> so i personally i'm not actually blackpilled on this like moving forward i know that things often get worse they often get better but i wanted to ask you a few questions relating to this specifically so like i wanted to ask you broadly can you think of times like in the just u.s and world history where tangible actions were taken where these types of networks were actually ended or prosecuted successfully if, if you look at history myself and others we launched uh epstein justice last week and uh mm -hmm. And what we're going to do is get the government to form a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. 
that isn't just filled with political hacks, but a commission that is actually filled with uh, uh, people that are demanding the truth. And what we need to do is we need to get those perpetrators indicted. There's mm -hmm. two things. There's two things. We need to get those perpetrators indicted, and we have to know why our government is aiding and abetting child trafficking. That's mm -hmm. what we need to know. Now, here's the thing. If you bore down deep enough into Epstein, if you are into that issue, you're going to come across the cesspool that governs us. You're going to come across uh, the people that make up the rules that enact the laws that cause the extreme wealth polarization that's happening now. You're going to uh, come across the people that uh, enact the rules, uh, that enact the laws that trample on our constitutional rights. So uh, you're going to just blow it open. Now, this is not going to be easy, um, but there have been cases in history where the, the change has occurred. The civil rights. I mean, mm. the, no one thought if, if someone would have told you uh, before the civil rights movement got going that, yeah, there's going to be a civil rights movement and uh, blacks are going to be treated the same as whites. Um, a lot of people would have scoffed at that. Now, it was not easy to get the civil rights uh, movement going and to get that those civil rights laws passed. That was not easy, but it was done because there were enough people that wanted it to be done. Hmm. And I believe that Epstein, there's two things about Epstein. I believe it's it's going to be the only chance in, in, in our lifetimes where we're going to um, be able to impose our will, the Americans, and, and stop the government from aiding and abetting child trafficking. And also, th this is really important, and then we have to understand why, as I said earlier, our government is aiding and abetting child trafficking. And this is gonna give us our best opportunity. We're never gonna have an opportunity like this. It's interesting, the mainstream media has not called for justice with Jeffrey Epstein, but what they've done is they've continued to pump out salacious dirt about it. Which, mm. which, is, which has kept him in the uh, which has kept him in the, the zeitgeist of, um, of Americans. So and every American, I think, unless they're you know, brain dead, um, knows that something is really, really tainted about the Jeffrey Epstein case. Every American. It's interesting um, when I uh, when the uh, W started the wars. Um, in uh, this, the Gulf War, um, or Desert Shield, or Desert, yeah, I forgot what it was. Anyway, the, se the second Gulf War, um, I there was a huge, huge gathering um, by the UN. It was huge. Um, and there were, uh, the New York Times reported that there were 10 or 15,000 there. I, there were at least 60 or 70,000 people there. But here's the thing with that. By the time when when that demonstration went down, the mainstream media had convinced 80% of Americans that um, that we needed to go to war, that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, 80%. Now, 
how is the mainstream media going to, you know, how is the mainstream media going to board into people's minds that there's no taint with Jeffrey Epstein? Not going to be possible. So that demonstration that I went to um, near the United Nations, uh, um, that was with only 20% of the people believing that we, um, or 80% of the people believing that we needed to go to war and 20% believing that we didn't. But here we have 100% of people knowing that it stinks. So once the crowds start turning out, they're going to get larger and larger and larger. And, and I think that Americans will eventually realize that below Jeffrey Epstein is a cesspool that mm. is really, really hurting them. And, and, and I think a lot of Americans know that now. And a lot of Americans might not know that now, but a lot of Americans know that something is seriously wrong with our country. I mean, just just about every American um, believes that something is seriously wrong with our country. And I yeah. think once you auger into Jeffrey Epstein, you're gonna you're gonna find out. We're gonna find out. Well, what you're saying reminds me, ironically enough, of something that Noam Chomsky once said, which was, I, I mean, it's not a direct quote, but like. There's a reason why politicians don't vote for popular legislation and take popular positions. And it's because they're compromised in some way. And no, it's not every single one of them compromised by Epstein, but like some are compromised by money or, you know, what have you. There are other mechanisms too, but like, you're right. Like something is wrong. This is a good way to like flip the log over and see you know what's at the rod of this country exactly and the thing about it is our uh i've written two books on this actually i've got a third book coming out on uh, ci sexual blackmail mm -hmm. uh, that was right at the heart of watergate um which how that remained covered up is kind of amazing but that book will be out in a couple of uh months and it'll be my third book on cia honey traps um i i, I think at that point I'm, i just might call it quits on that particular <laughs> subject but anyway um what i have found is that our politicians they're alpha males they're highly sexed they're uh extremely arrogant and they're extremely greedy mm. and nothing makes people stupid like sex and arrogance and greed, especially sex. Um, sex will uh, turn someone with an IQ of 250 into someone that, that looks like they just had a lobotomy. Um, <laughs> so there are, our politicians are very easy to compromise. And unfortunately, a number of them made Faustian packs even to get to Washington. So you really didn't need to compromise them. And a number mm. of them were compromised before they went to Washington. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, Dennis Hastert was the Speaker of the House from 1999 to uh, 2006, 2007. And he had a history of molesting um, boys going back 40 years. And his ascent in the U.S. Senate or in the U.S. House was meteoric, meteoric. Mm -hmm. And I think that he was the longest um, sitting 
majority leader, Republican majority leader ever. And um, and he was a strong arm guy. Like he strong armed a bunch of politicians into that uh, that Iraq war. Um, but the thing about Hamstrad is, according to Sabelle Edmonds, who was a CIA whistle or a FBI whistleblower, the FBI knew what Hamstrad was up to, hmm. and they did nothing about it. Now it's really interesting that Hamstrad was busted for someone was one of his victims was blackmailing him. And the FBI easily could have shut down that victim by just saying, we're the FBI. If you don't stop blackmailing Dennis Hastert, we're going to put you away in prison. And then the guy would have stopped. But yet they went after Hastert for for, uh, taking money out, uh, not claiming money or taking it out uh, illegally or something like that. So, and Hastert had to go to prison. So I don't know what happened with Hastert. Rusty Nelson I, I asked him, he was the blackmail photographer, one of the blackmail photographers for the Franken scandal. And I asked him, um, you know, how does this work? I was I was trying to get my mind around so many things when I first started investigating the Franklin scandal. And Rusty Nelson said, it's like you're on a yacht and it's a beautiful day and you can have anything you want on this yacht. But if you decide to get off the yacht, the people on the yacht are going to make sure that you drown. And I, for some reason, Dennis Hanster didn't listen to somebody. I don't know exactly what, it, what what was going on. He's making a lot of money with his lobbying business and turning millions and millions of dollars. Uh, maybe he stepped on some toes and said, I'm Dennis Hanster and, you know, go to hell. I, I don't know. But Larry Craig is a very interesting example um, of someone who was in Washington, D.C. for a long time. Craig was in Washington. He was a conservative family values guy. He was in Washington, D.C. for close to uh, 25, 30 years. He eventually, he was from Idaho. He eventually went as a representative and ended up as a senator. The book that I wrote, Confessions of a D.C. Madam, was about Henry Vinson's tale of running an escort service in um, in Washington, D.C., and then the CIA using his escorts to compromise people. Now, Larry Craig was getting escorts from Henry Vincent in the 1980s. And there was a, a documentary that came out about, out. it was called Outrage. It was by Kirby Dick. And it looked at these conservative politicians and, and how they voted against gay rights, which Larry Craig definitely voted against gay rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was, but it showed that Larry Craig was getting gay escorts from somebody else other than Henry Benson. So he, I, I, so Larry Craig is getting get escorts from uh, probably multiple parties, and then he gets busted in Minneapolis in a bathroom where someone was in the stall next to him, and he was he was slapping his foot on the ground, which I guess is um, gay nomenclature for hooking up. Mm-hmm. And um, and then he was arrested. So so we've given a guy, a senator that's picking up guys in bathrooms. Now, how hard would that guy to be to? Con- I mean, how hard would he be to compromise? Uh, you know, a high school kid with a smartphone and an after school project could have compromised uh, Larry Craig. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting. I'm from Minneapolis. And I remember I was in that bathroom or one of those bathrooms at the airport. And some guy was like slapping his foot. And, and 
in the cell next to mine. And, and I, I thought he had a neurological disorder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had no idea that he was trying to pick me up. <laughs> oh, geez. <laughs> but that's two examples of rot in our government. Two examples. And uh, rot, duplicity, hypocrisy. Um, and there's many more. And the only way at this point that we're going to be able to, do we, do we want our children to inherit a government that protects child molesters? Because our government has been protecting child molesters for a very long time. Do we mm -hmm. want that? Do we, do we want our children to inherit a government that, that protects child molesters, that continually enacts um, legislation that works against Americans, that causes wealth polarization, that, that tramples on our constitutional rights. Do we want that? I mean, would your listeners, would any of you trust someone who is aiding and abetting child trafficking or any group that is aiding and abetting child trafficking? Of course you wouldn't. But our government is aiding and abetting child trafficking. So how can we trust our government? We, we cannot. And, and we can change that. It's, it's like I said, it's not going to be easy, um, but it's going to be possible. And if enough people join our cause, EpsteinJustice.com, we'll be able to make a, a definite change. Um, it's up to you, America, um, whether or not you want to be governed by child molesters and, and uh, people that protect the child molesters. There's that Nine Inch Nails song, Bow Down to the One You Serve, You're Going to Get What You Deserve. And I'm switching mm -hmm. the lyrics a little bit. And if you bow down to the one you serve, then you're going to get what you deserve. So we can bow down to these child molesters, or we, we can do something about it. It's, uh, it's it's really up to us. And we've got the perfect vehicle with Jeffrey Epstein because the mainstream media has kept him alive and will continue to keep him alive. And in, in like I said earlier, in the American zeitgeist. So let me ask you, what tangible steps can my, say, the average listener take? Like, what is a, what's Epstein Justice asking? Okay, Epstein Justice is, um, we're putting together a social media team. I mean, we've already got a social media team in place. But if you wanted to help us with social media, that would be great. Um, if you wanted to follow us with social media, that would be great. Um, but social media is is what's really needed right now. Is is we need a bunch of people to connect via social media. Um, and we're on uh, Facebook and TikTok and Instagram. So that's going to be the first step. And we've already put on one demonstration. We put on a demonstration um, when that travesty of Glenn Maxwell's trial was occurring. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, Glenn Maxwell was indicted on one kind of child trafficking. There were four victims that were called, and those victims were never trafficked to anybody else other than Maxwell. That was a, that was a carefully choreographed uh, trial. But... We put on a nonpartisan, uh, peaceful demonstration across the street. Um, it's on the website. 
the EpsteinJustice.com website. And that would be the next step after the social media. And then there would be a peaceful nonpartisan. And then, and then it, it would ramp up. And then we would ultimately start putting tremendous pressure on the, uh, on the government. As I said, there was a huge turnout at the United Nations for that war that was predicated on lies against Saddam Hussein. And 80% of Americans had bought the government media line that, that we needed to fight that war. So if 100% of Americans buy that we need to do something about Jeffrey Epstein, um, which I think that it seems logical, um, then we can make some some real change. But but it's up it's up to us um, whether we want to be governed by the cesspool or not. So, my listeners know, I don't frequently advocate for a lot of political activity. It's not the purpose of my show. I rarely advocate much more than just reading books and so forth. But I do think that this is something that my listeners like i will be participating but my listeners you know you should also uh in the ways that uh you can because honestly the social media part that's like free like that's you know that doesn't cost anything to help promote that uh, certainly i'll be making a donation and i encourage my listeners to do that too you know there's the petition of course as well and i would say from my perspective you know, I'm not, you know, I'm just a podcaster, but like from what I have studied of the U.S. left, such as it is from the post-war period on, the main place where the U.S. left has been able to make victories was through coalitions and groups making a concerted push on a specific goal or policy or issue, right? I mean, Lord knows, obviously, civil rights is a huge example, but you know, the gay movement, gay liberation and so forth is another one. Feminism has made huge strides. There's several more of these examples. So like, this is, you know, an easy, like Nick Bryant has been saying, this is easy. Every American fundamentally agrees about this. So I think that it is not pie in the sky or a stretch to think that actual progress can be made on this issue. I know it will never really be you know, satisfying the real demands of justice, but the stronger the push that is made right now, I imagine, and, you know, I'd like your thoughts on this, Nick, but like, I would imagine that other networks are forced to continue hiding or hiding more or like are less able to operate in society if, you know, the stronger we react to this. Absolutely. But I think if, there is the will of the American people. We can get some of these perpetrators indicted. Yes. And I also think that um, with the Truth, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, we, as I said, we can auger into the cesspool that is currently decimating us. Um, during mm -hmm. the pandemic, millions of Americans lost everything. I live in New York City and I would walk up and down Ninth Avenue and I would see all these restaurants that had been there for a long time. They, they went under. Um, no one, 
the government told them they could not operate, but the government did not help them out at all. And so consequently, they went under. There was a, a great restaurant that had been there for 29 years um, that, that went under. Um, but yet a billionaire was minted every day during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. and that is that that wealth polarization that has been exponentially escalating since Ronald Reagan and and that's and that's because of laws that enable the rich to get richer and the poor can't compete and what's been done with our constitutional rights the way that they've been trampled on we don't even know how bad it is according to Bill Binney um a guy I had on my podcast he was a, a big shot at the NSA he says that um the NSA can capture everything. Um, that's why they built those that huge place in Utah is is to store everything. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got the we've got a government that's doing these things to us. Um, it's not looking out for our best interests. It's not looking out for our welfare. And with this. As I said, we can bore into it and and actually show Americans the cesspool or, or turn over the log and show the rot. Um, I think that that's really important. And as I said, I'm I'm old and decrepit at this point. So, um, <laughs> but, but if I had children, I would not want them to inherit this uh, political system. Mr. Bryant, do you believe that the moral arc of the universe bends towards justice? I believe in karma, it, I, but I also believe in action. And and actually, karma is uh, translated directly as action. So, um, but I do believe in karma, um, but I, I also believe in action. And we do have free will a lot of the time. A lot of times we're victims of our karma, which causes a certain amount of determinism. But I I think that there's a tremendous amount of indeterminism too. And that's where we need to take action with. um, And and I think that what we have here is um, an area where we can exercise our free will. Yeah, because the moral arc of the universe sounds almost like uh, something we can't sway, but it doesn't the moral arc isn't going to turn towards justice unless we all actually take these actions, like you're saying. Yeah. And the thing about karma is we cannot understand karma. Um, it, it's a multivariate system. If, if you believe in karma, I, I tend to believe in karma. Um, it's, it's a multivariate calculus that's way beyond our comprehension. Um, but I do also, like I said, I believe in free will. And I believe that we have that opportunity right now to exercise our free will. Mm-hmm. And because the government is just used to us not exercising our free will. And at this point, we can show the government that, hey, we're going to exercise our free will now. Mm-hmm. And just to wrap up here. I wanted to ask, I know my listeners appreciate hearing the this question from different guests, and I'm I'm certain everyone wants to hear what you think about this, but uh, how do you keep from sinking down or getting overwhelmed 
Lord knows you've been in this game a long time. So like, how do you avoid getting overwhelmed by these topics? I drink a quart of gin a day. Um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> I, I, I don't drink. Um, I have found that a spiritual life is very important when I got into this. Um, I, I'm a runner. I'm a meditator. Um, I believe in volunteering um, mm. and, and being of service, um, not just my writing, but actually hands-on. There's a lot of opportunities in New York City where you can volunteer. So for me, it's important to remain spiritually healthy. And um, because I've known a lot of people that have gone down the parapolitics hole and they become very misanthropic and angry. Mm-hmm. And once you become misanthropic and angry, you're not going to be able, to help, be able to help anybody out. And plus, I've been in this for the long haul. I've, I've had to maintain um, uh, a, a, an emotional equilibrium um, because I see what happens when people don't maintain emotional equilibriums. Um, so, yeah, I've found a way to various uh, modalities to take care of myself. Um, but meditation and running are are very big for me. That makes a lot of sense. And then I think that uh, something like Epstein justice actually is healthy as well, because it's like not just ruminating, reading, you know, reading these horrible books and listening to these horrible podcasts that like, it is something where you can actually take a step to try to help make things better rather than, yeah, just stewing in your thoughts. So. And the thing about it is, we don't, at this point, um, we don't really need much more to know much more about Jeffrey Epstein. Mm. I mean, we know that he flew these kids around. We know who a bunch of the kids were. We know who a bunch of the perps were. We know that he was protected by intelligence. We know that he was involved in blackmail. Um, We know a lot about Jeffrey Epstein. Um, Now it's just a matter of making sure that the government does something about it Mm. that seems like a good place to end it thank you so much again thank you jimmy i've already as i said i get a kick out of your tweets they they brighten up my day oh that's lovely to hear i try to be funny at least sometimes so (laughs) no it's great and uh thanks for having me and uh, tell George uh, that I that I missed him. Okay. United we stand, divided we fall. For every dime they give us, a battle must be fought. So working people, use your power, the key to liberty. Don't support that. We've been shot, we've been jailed, or it's a sin. 
women and little children stood right by the men. But we got a union contract that keeps the worker free. Shoot that!